Welcome to this Endo Life episode 83. I'm Jessica Duffin. I'm an endo health coach, an endo warrior, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast isn't here to replace your current treatment and is here for educational purposes only. Just a reminder that today's episode is sponsored by the lovely Semaine. Semaine is the period supplement to help ease menstrual pain and reduce inflammation on the week of your period. And I am so happy that the girls sent me some to try. Um, so a lot of you have been following my journey with interstitial cystitis um, and how for the past, I did about a six-week elimination diet um, that was low oxalate, low histamine, and kind of autoimmune. And um, as a result, I was very limited on what I could eat, and some of the things that I could eat were actually triggers for me with my endometriosis. So um, my, not my most recent period, but the period before was actually really painful, a lot more painful than they usually are. Usually I have no pain to about a level three on the pain scale. And um, I had a pretty bad period. So I was so happy to have Semaine on hand for my most recent period. And I am very, very happy to report that I had, you know, a couple of cramps. Literally, they lasted like five minutes. Um, I had been taking Semaine for two days before my period and I used Semaine on my period. I had like a couple moments of some cramping. I took one paracetamol, did my usual thing of putting on my BU patch, um, using magnesium spray, taking some omega-3 supplements, taking a bit more magnesium, um, a bit more of my magnesium supplements, having some turmeric and having some ginger and I forgot about it I literally forgot about it I was on the phone to my mum the pain started whilst I was on the phone then I got off the phone and a couple of hours later I was like oh yeah I am so happy to report that Semaine really really helped me I was really worried I've only had a week back on my normal endometriosis diet so I was really worried about what was going to happen. So thank you, Samane, for saving me. Um, And yeah, if you're interested in trying them as well, they're completely natural. They feature some of my favorite ingredients for managing endometriosis, curcumin, magnesium, resveratrol, um, quercetin. So if you're interested, the link is in my show notes and... For the rest of Endometriosis Awareness Month, and because right now it just basically sucks and we want to chew you up more, um, the girls at Semaine are giving 30% off to my listeners with code BEWELL30, and that's all caps, so B-E-W-E-L-L-30. So you just need to enter that at checkout, and I will put that in my show notes as well. 
the discount code will run until March 31st for the rest of Endometriosis Awareness Month. And just another shout out to my lovely sponsors, BU. BU make wonderful period products, all natural, um, scientifically proven. You know the BU patches are my absolute favourite. Um, again, they've been so helpful for getting me through with my interstitial cystitis pain recently. Um, and of course, the bad period that I had. And I think at the moment, if you can get hold of them, this is the time that they're really going to support you. So many of you have said to me that you're having worsening cramps and you're having worsening pain flares due to the stress and anxiety that you're under. So having some BU patches on hand will be really helpful. They deliver natural essential oils to your abdomen that reduce the cramps and reduce the pain and calm down that area. You can get them in Superdrug, WH Smith. Um, you can get them online at buonline.co.uk. And if you're not based in the UK, you can also order them from colpbeauty.co.uk and they deliver worldwide. So if you're in need of some instant pain relief right now, I cannot recommend BU period patches enough. Um, they also do CBD if that's something that interests you. Um, and I just love all of their products. So I highly recommend them if you need some support with your pain at the moment. So how are you guys hoping, hoping, holding up? Um, I hope you're staying, staying safe and well and as calm as possible. Um, I've been talking a lot over on Instagram stories about how when we're experiencing heightened pain, um, sorry, heightened stress or anxiety, it really triggers our brain to respond more intensely to pain signals. And so I know a lot of us are really feeling that right now and having pain flares and just worsening cramps or worsening pain. So if you're struggling with that right now, um, I'm over on Instagram every day sharing tips on how to manage that. Um, I also have a post in my Instagram. Um, it's a graphic with different natural options you can use for in the moment pain relief. If you're on my mailing list, I emailed you on Sunday with a list of tips on how to calm down your pain right now. And I also offered free coaching this week for anyone really struggling. Um, and what was the other thing? Oh, of course, my book is free at the moment, my cookbook. So if you need help with staying on track and reducing your inflammation that way, um, because, you know, maybe understandably you've been comfort eating and now you've had a huge flare. Um, my cookbook is free at the moment. There's the Managing Endometriosis Naturally guide, which is always free. Um, I have the Endometriosis Symptom Tracker and free different shopping lists. So there's a lot of support there and the links to all of those are in my show notes. Um, I am also going to be doing an Instagram coaching session, Instagram live coaching session. session. I might do it on Zoom. I'm not 100% sure. I'm just working out the details at the moment. There's a couple of people that I'm hoping to get on to support us with the coaching session, to do a bit of yoga, to do a bit of meditation. So I'm just trying to confirm those details and then I will announce them. And I might um, 
just release a quick, not even an episode, just a quick announcement on this podcast during the week to let you know when that's going to be. And just to remind you, if you do want more support, one-on-one support, um, I still do have the one-on-one coaching place um, placements open at the moment. They are discounted for Endometriosis Awareness Month, £300 off. But given the current situation, you know, I will work with people's budgets. So do get in touch if you want to hear more, understand more. I'll put the link to the coaching page in the show notes. Um, or you can just email me at hello at this And just because I know it's a sensitive topic at the moment, I just want to say that um, some people are not happy with people who are, you know, offering services, continuing to offer services, such as coaching or, um, I mean, for some reason, I can't think of anything else right now. But, um, you know, people who are self-employed continuing to offer their business. And I just want to kind of remind people that we're all in the same boat. And as a small business owner, a lot of you have been following my journey. And this year was the first year that I went fully this endo life. So my this endo life is is now um, my business and, you know, 85%, 90% of it is free. Um, so I have to continue to coach and to offer the services that I do offer um but just at you know as reasonable rates as I can make them at the moment um so yeah I I doubt that anyone's going to send to me horrible messages about it but I just want to explain that um I want to show up and support the clients I already am working with because that is so important to me um and I am you know, so thankful that they're still committed to the process and I'm still committed to the process and they're actually finding it so useful to have this as an anchor at this time. And, um, but I'm also committed to anyone else who still needs the support because as you and I know very well, endometriosis doesn't stop. Just because the world is at a standstill, we still have to live with endometriosis. Um, despite everything that's going on, it would be nice to take a break from it, but it doesn't always work like that. So um, I'm still here to support people in any way I can with all of the free services and options that I have. And, you know, I do still offer the one-on-one coaching that is starting in April. So if that is something that you want to do um, and that you want support with and it's something that you would like to learn more about, you can reach out to me. And as I said, if you're struggling at the moment financially, we can discuss that too. Um, There was one other thing that I was going to say. Oh, yes. So the live coaching session that I should be doing either Zoom or Instagram live um, is free, obviously. Um, So you can join that. I forgot to say my Facebook group, obviously the year long um, challenge, endometriosis challenge. Um, you can join at any time. The link is in the show notes and I am doing a live coaching session in that every month at the moment. So, and I'm in there like almost every day offering tips to navigate this time and keep our flares down and our stress and anxiety down. So that's another resource. And, um, I might be doing 
if I can find the time to do it, I'm thinking about doing a five day um, mini email course that will help you guys calm down the pain signals, calm down the fear um, so that, yeah, your pain signals aren't popping off all over the place. Um, So we'll see if I can get that out. Um, It really depends on timing. Um, But if I do, I will announce that as well on the podcast so I'll just record a quick little snippet and let you guys know so keep an eye out for those see if anything pops up um and yeah I hope all of those are helpful everything I've just mentioned I'm going to list in the show notes if there's anything else that you feel could be really helpful to you guys right now please do let me know I have been contemplating short single sessions there's already the two-hour deep dive sessions that I do but I'm thinking about doing some shorter sessions. Let me know if that would be of interest. Um, I have a course that's in the pipeline. So I don't know if why you got whilst people are at home, maybe it's a better time. Um, and it's going to support you to navigate staying well with endometriosis through a very difficult time. Um, and just like episodes that I could do on the show, blog posts I could do, Instagram stories I could do. Um, just let me know what you need because I'm really open to supporting people in whatever way is helpful at the moment. And I think we're also in a weird time when we also are a little bit like, ah, I don't know what I need. So um, any ideas or anything that you're struggling with, let me know and then I can kind of think up some ideas. So that's that. Um And yeah, let's get to the show. Today's episode is actually an interview with the lovely Vicky Williams. You might remember Vicky from, gosh, I think about two years ago now. Um, And she came on to talk about yoga and Reiki. At the time, she was a yoga teacher and Reiki teacher um, supporting people with endometriosis. Vicky and I used to actually do circles together, endo circles together, and they were just so lovely. Um, we're now living very far apart from each other, so we're not doing them anymore. But um, who knows, maybe one day in the future. Um, but Vicky is actually now a women's health researcher. She's also a TED Talk speaker and is currently completing her PhD in endometriosis at work and menstrual policy. And I had to have her back on the show because this is such an important topic. And I do think it's pretty relevant to where we're at today with people struggling um, with work right now, given everything that's going on. So in this episode, Vicky and I are talking about Vicky's personal experience of endometriosis in her career. And I sort of chip in um, about my experience of endometriosis in the workplace as well. And really, that's kind of why both of us went self-employed. Um, although we both kind of always had that intention in the long run but it's you know we were pushed to do that to make that leap take that leap with endometriosis we talk about the current experience and challenges of people with endometriosis at work the current support available and ways to manage endometriosis in the workplace we also talk about what other support and policy changes are needed to help people working with endometriosis um, and what employers could do and what we need in terms of a menstrual policy And we finish off with tips for those of you who are struggling with endo at work. Um, And we recorded this just as the coronavirus stuff was kicking off. So 
Not all of it will be applicable right now, but I hope it will be applicable in the future. So yeah, without further ado, here she is. I I have something to admit to you. Um, <laughs> I was watching your um, TED talk and mm-hmm. I haven't been able to finish it because I'm not, I don't really get, um, I don't know, I can't explain it, but because a lot of what I do around endometriosis is really like solution focused, I mm-hmm. tend not to dip into any of my difficult feelings around it, not out of like repression or, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not like, I'm not like, um, not let myself feel things, but I'm just so like forward focused, but your TED talk really got to me and I found oh, it. I'm sorry. No, no, not in a bad way. Not in a bad way at all. Um, in a good way because it was so powerful and it really reminded me of some of the things that I had gone through in the workplace. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I literally, I don't, I think I just haven't finished like the part of the last four minutes or something. And, but I had to keep stopping. And yeah. um, I think the last time you came on the show, we talked about your experience of endometriosis um, and more around your symptoms and more of your like spiritual kind of journey in that sense. But mm-hmm. your TED talk was a lot more about your experience at work and of course everyone else's experience and and the important work that you're doing now and so I was wondering if because it resonated with me so deeply if you could kind of share your story with Endo and how it specifically affected you at work and how that then inspired you to do what you're doing now yeah absolutely so oh it's a very long story but I'll dive in (laughs) um So I was diagnosed in 2012 Mm -hmm. and that was basically after 10 years of having symptoms and like so many people with endometriosis, I was told it's all in your head or, you know, it's just, you're one of the unlucky ones. It's period pain that you need to, to live with. And so at the time of being diagnosed, I was 21, 22, and I just started working at a digital agency in London. And obviously with that, I had so much time off, which was repeating how much time I'd, I'd held off from school as well. And, but in the workplace, you know, you, you're, you're just starting out, you're really trying to make an impression and it was yeah. really affecting me at work. So lots of days off, like lots of colleagues who really didn't understand. And, and I was very much, still am quite shy, but then a lot more so. So didn't, didn't really know how to approach the subject with my manager or you know, with HR teams. And then I'd had surgery, so I had to have quite a long time off. Um, And this kind of was a repeating pattern throughout my career. So I've had three surgeries so far, and it wasn't until kind of the later, um, so a lot further on, so 25, 26, with kind of being promoted and taking on more responsibilities, obviously my work life, became a lot more stressful and I started noticing that it wasn't just symptoms then affecting my work but work was starting to really bring on my symptoms so I had experiences where I was rushed to A&E all of a sudden you know I had to leave work all of a sudden with a horrendous endo flare-up 
And right at getting to the hospital, I had an email from my boss warning me that I'd left without giving a handover note. And <gasps> I had about 5% battery left on my phone. And, and there I was emailing her back, feeling so guilty, you know, in so much pain, only wanting to basically call my mum. And I was just like, what, why am I doing this? You know, why is that guilt even there? You yeah. know, this I is something you about this actually when we met. Absolutely. And it's something that that's where the, the problem comes up in because it's invisible. Mm-hmm. People can't empathize with it as much at work. Um, and then another situation where for about two weeks, I'd been working with like chronic pelvic pain. My stomach looked like I was pregnant. And then eventually, basically for that kind of, I think it came up to about a week, 10 days, my bowel stopped functioning. So there I was in A&E again. Then I was seeing a specialist the following week and I sat down with the specialist and this is what really hit home with me. He said, you know, there's an option that you might need a colostomy bag. You know, the endometriosis is, you know, almost like strangling your bowel. And then an hour later, I was pitching for new business and, you know, they're smiling, hiding, not only the physical pain I was going through, but there's lots of emotional work. Yeah, the fear. Endometriosis have to go with. And yeah, exactly. Having to, you know, have these life-changing circumstances or, you know, even through medication or, you know, for instance, if you go to the hospital and there you are talking about fertility and then you have to go back to work, they're they're big emotional issues that we're having Mm. to, you know, it takes a while to process them and, and sink in, but then feeling as if we've got to rush back to work and, you know, be productive and, you know, brave smiles on in front of clients or your colleagues. And there's a lot to it. And it was through those experiences, they got, you know, the time between those experiences got shorter and shorter. And all of a sudden I just thought, right, I just can't do this anymore. Um, And that's what led me to go part-time then. And that situation didn't really help work. So there's still lots of conflict between colleagues with managers, um, I can remember coming back from surgery once and my whole senior team didn't talk to me for weeks because <gasps> I had so much time off. And even to the point where my HR manager was like, you need to go home. You know, your, your face is as white as a sheet. You're not well, go home. And so much guilt there and, you know, pressure and worrying about whether I was going to lose my job or mm-hmm. um, at one point actually I was even told that despite hitting all my targets that, um, I wouldn't get the promotion or the pay rise because I'd had too much time off and it would reflect badly on the team, my manager said. So all these circumstances and eventually I just thought, right, that's, do you know what? I'm going to quit. I want the flexibility to work in my own way. Um, But obviously then that comes with lots of financial uncertainty, which is, I think, a big problem in the endo community when it comes to work at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, And then things happen so for instance our endo circles so I just whereas before I was very much I felt quite isolated in my own experience with work it wasn't until we started you know sharing in those endo circles that I realized how much of an issue work was um in the community and yeah they came up a lot absolutely struggling with you know um relationships so kind of um you know, building relationships with colleagues who didn't couldn't really empathize with the situation or they felt they were 
receiving discriminating treatment from their managers or people that have, have actually just you know chosen or or not chosen to leave the workforce and with that kind of all these things like really kind of led the way for my PhD like topic and it wasn't until then I was in um, the gynae office um, for an appointment and do appointment and I looked around me and just saw so many people with laptops and I just thought where have we come to that we can't even sit and wait for a hospital appointment without having to work and you know to make up for lost time and that's yeah. where my PhD was born really so I what I really want to do with this PhD is tell the stories of people living with endometriosis across a variety a huge variety of different different work um you know, tasks and, and workplaces, but also look at the influence of menstrual policy, which I'm sure we'll come on to, um, which is really giving people access to accommodations that we're not seeing in the workplace at the moment and, and really exploring and looking into interventions that will help people, you know, manage their symptoms, managing the emotions that come with it, um, with a life with endometriosis. Yeah, absolutely. Um, your story really, it's, it's quite funny because now I think back to when we met, like, I know all of this, you told me all of this, but it still shocks me when you say like, your management didn't talk to you. Like, that's just, yeah. it's really childlike for a start. Oh, and I don't know how anyone thinks that that's um I don't know just okay like it's not professional to like give someone the silent treatment it's absolutely ridiculous um and if you had a obvious disability or chronic disease that they could see they they wouldn't have done that can you imagine if someone came in who had been having chemo and they just ignored them and that's the problem that's and, and this is the thing as well, you just hammered home on that, that you, you knew all of this, but you knew it in smaller doses mm. rather than, but I think, and this will be for so many people, when you actually sit down and put your whole work experience together and, you know, what things that have happened, you know, what's been said, and they might just seem like small things at the time, but they really do add up. And it takes you a while to look at your experience and just think, actually, this isn't right. And like you said, this wouldn't happen to someone with visible, um, you know, a visible illness or visible signs of an illness. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I feel traumatized from my experience in my last workplace before I went yeah. self-employed. Um, I still think about it every night when I'm trying to go to sleep. And that was three years ago now, I think. Yeah. So at some point I'm gonna have some therapy around it, but um, it's, I think being someone who's always excelled, um, it was really hard to have people believe that I was, whatever they believed I was, I don't know what they thought I was lazy or I don't know what they thought, but they didn't think good of me. And so that really, I don't know, like their treatment of me and, and just their kind of like, um they didn't have to necessarily say things it was just the way it it was the way that they treated me I said it all Do, does that make sense yeah. 
Absolutely, um, in the way they made you feel. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, that's um, yeah, story for another well, time. <laughs> it's okay. I'm. I'm. Yeah. I'll get some therapy at some point. Um. So, you have shared some really powerful stats with the government, um, and in your TED talk, um, and obviously you've just shared your own story. But could you tell us a bit more about kind of the current experience and challenges that our people are kind of facing? You know, in the workplace, what what do you feel people are coming up against the most? Yeah, of course. So the most obvious um, that comes to mind um, that people are experiencing or finding challenging with endometriosis is having symptoms affect their work. So in terms of productivity levels, um, so research has found that when women are going through an endoflare or when their symptoms are at their worst, that they can lose an average of seven to 10 hours per week at work. And that can be from um, being absent from the workplace, so taking time off, but it can also be from um, presenteeism. So that is the reduced productivity at work, um, that you're not able to perform tasks in the way that you would have um, previously because symptoms are interfering with your ability. Um, right, and okay. this is down to a whole range of symptoms, so crippling pelvic pain, having extreme fatigue, or the side effects from medication, or heavy menstrual bleeding, so all obviously symptoms of endometriosis. Um, There was another study done, so across 10 countries, um, so it involved uh, just below, I believe it's 1,500 women, and they reported an average of uh, 60% reduced work effectiveness because of their symptoms. And that's, you know, it's such a huge figure. Jeez. Um, Such a huge figure. So, but we haven't just got kind of the the physical symptoms you've also got the emotional workload so as we've been talking about the guilt for taking time off the fear of losing your job or the daily anxiety of having a flare-up um you've also got embarrassment so whether someone feels comfortable enough to talk about their condition with their manager or especially in kind of a male dominated environment Mm -hmm. um and, and just on this point as well, there's, there is lots of research about how uh, people feel um, at risk revealing kind of a sex-specific condition, especially in that, that male-dominated environment or with a male manager. Um, but I also think it's really important to bring up the case that it's not just um, disclosing to a male manager that might bring problems, but there's also stories that I've spoken to people about where they've had a female manager and just because they haven't necessarily um, had painful periods or don't have an awareness of endometriosis they, that they too have reacted in quite a negative light because they can't yeah. empathize and understand the situation so um, and on that I've had like three of kind of the best managers that have worked with me and helped to deal with endometriosis have actually been male um, so oh, they, wow, that's encouraging. Yeah, they were really honest and they said, you know, they obviously, they couldn't understand what I was going through, but they they were really quite, um, yeah, they really sat down and helped and um, didn't just think that they, you know, kind of knew what to do or they, they really wanted to work with me. And I think that's such an important approach um, in kind of, in finding that supportive accommodation um, in the workplace. Yeah. Um, 
So the two things I've talked about are, so symptoms affecting work, so physical symptoms, but also the emotional side. And this is very much kind of the medical aspects of endometriosis in the workplace. But something that I'm really um, interested in and, and focusing on a lot as well is, is all the, so, the social disabling effect of the condition as well. So that is um, structures and cultures that disable women with endometriosis in the workplace. So for instance, the risk of disclosure. So, you know, feeling like you're suffering in silence because of the repercussions of um, disclosing an illness and what that could do to your job, career, credibility. Um, and one of the big topics I'm focusing around um, through this social disabling nature is um, careers that are in interrupted or obstructed. So there's lots of evidence showing that women are becoming, women with endometriosis are becoming um, uh, unemployed, whether that's chosen or kind of, um, or not chosen, or they're being pushed involuntarily into part-time roles or choosing to become self-employed whether that support or motivation is there. Yeah. Um, uh, there's also as well something called the third shift. So where women with endometriosis are not necessarily just balancing employment, um, but they're balancing work with a kind of illness, with also kind of home and social life as well. And this third shift, so it's, it's like having an extra job. So, you know, looking for um, kind of uh, expertise. So uh, not necessarily expertise, but advice on how to deal with endometriosis, you know, um, self-management techniques, self-care techniques, researching, you know, diets or alternative methods or having to deal with the side effects of medication. It is like having an, an additional job, essentially. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's so true. I really struggle with um, not so much. I don't know. I have a good routine now, but I could do I think I could do a lot more. But I think I would get stressed out like several years ago trying to do all the things that I was trying to do for endometriosis and um, have a social life and, um, you know, keep up at work whilst worrying about all of it that I wasn't performing well in any of it so it it always kind of felt like there was a big weight around my neck like a necklace with a I don't know a big like block of iron attached to it because I was just always carrying around this um feeling of not doing anything well enough but always having to think about all of it all the time like always having to work on all of it all the time yet still not um doing any of it in the way that I wanted oh absolutely and it's like that almost like a, a daily dance with you know um what you're eating you know and looking after yourself but then trying to communicate symptoms to colleagues so mm -hmm. you know it's like how much do you reveal to someone um all these things take so much energy yeah it really does and I think like one of the things that can make it even harder is the culture that's going on at your workplace I think Absolutely. like what the one of the reasons why I struggled so much in my in my kind of final workplace was because by that point um you know I was 
managing my endometriosis in a certain way. And um, it was really the fatigue rather than the pain and the fear of the pain coming back Mm -hmm. and the anxiety that came with that and the depression that came with that that was getting to me the most because my, my fatigue and brain fog was really bad and I just couldn't function properly. Um, so I had to like, you know, I couldn't have caffeine and I couldn't have, um, alcohol and I had to be careful with sugar and stuff all because I needed to maintain my health and keep inflammation down. But they loved to drink. It was a small office, tiny office. Um, there was literally a handful of us and they, were all really energetic, robust people who could just drink and like polish off like a bottle or two of wine, like at a work event that evening and be fine the next day. And literally like there was a coffee machine in the, in our work and they would just drink like so many coffees a day and tea. And I just always felt like, um, the weird one and sometimes I had to compromise my values and what I wanted to do to like fit in and there was just it was just a constant like um I don't know it there was just so much for me to navigate every day of feeling like at some point they're just gonna be like this girl is the odd one out and she does not fit in and she needs to leave especially because if you're working for a small business as a startup a lot of it is about the um culture of the team and how they work together and I I just didn't fit in and you know what you've hit the nail on the head I've worked so many places that I've just felt like I didn't fit in at all working in agencies in London it's very much very similar culture wise you know um everyone goes to the pub after work or everyone's still at their desks working at 10 o'clock at night 11 o'clock at night and and I just couldn't do that like you you know, I had to really manage my health in that time. So I would finish work at six and I'd be leaving my desk. And honestly, it was like that unwritten rule. Like, what are you doing leaving your <laughs> desk at six, you know? And that's that's what I'm, I mean by sometimes kind of um, the culture can be just as disabling as kind of, as sometimes the physical or emotional aspects because that builds up. and. Mm-hmm. you know when you feel like you don't fit in or you know if there aren't any accommodations being made that can have just as, as big an impact on your job and your career yeah and it can feel like bullying or it can feel like social isolation like one Absolutely. or two um so I think and that can really affect your confidence I got to a place where I couldn't even contribute in team meetings because I felt so insecure about who I was and what I was bringing to the table in that team. And that just made it even worse because I physically, I like literally couldn't think about anything to say in team meetings because I had become so fearful that my brain was just like, I'm, you're on lockdown. I'm just locking you down. You, you're not going to say anything yeah. because, you know, who knows how it's going to be perceived. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in, so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. 
Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to link in my show notes. This episode is also sponsored by my free guide, Managing Endometriosis Naturally. If you don't know where to start with beginning to take a holistic approach to managing your endometriosis symptoms, then this might help you. Um, If you'd like to download it, just head to the show notes and follow the link and you can get your free copy. Yeah, so interesting. Um, And those stats are, yeah, crazy, especially around people going, you know, self-employed, whether they want to Mm -hmm. or not. Um, I mean, do you... I don't know if this is part of your research or not, but do you know much about what happens after that, like after the workplace? Not at the moment. So that's something that, um, well, my study will be looking at the workplace, but also people that are self-employed as well. And it's something that I'm really interested in as well, just through my own experience, when I went self-employed, I think about three months after that, I had another surgery. And that's where it becomes really tricky with self-employment. So it's great that you can manage your workload. You know, you can take the day off when symptoms really flare up. But then when that period becomes longer that you, you know, you need a week off or even longer for things like surgery, um, that's the difficulty. So Mm. I wasn't able to pay my rent and um, found it really difficult to navigate that period. And at the moment, shockingly, there's still no advice from government, so no advice on the Fit for Work uh, website on how to, you know, manage endometriosis at the workplace, but also, you know, how to manage endometriosis and self-employment. There's nothing on the CIPD website, so, um, and you know, there's a, a huge inquiry going into um, going on in government at the moment. So it'll be really interesting to see what comes out of that for people who are um, in full-time employment, but also part-time work and self-employment as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be really interested in in seeing what comes out of that. Um, So speaking about that, like in terms of the government, um, is there any support available in any way, like within the government or within organisations? Like, do you think it's just down to good workplaces where that support is available like yeah I just what do you think there is at the moment so at the moment it's very much on um organization by organization so it's based on you know um I think it really depends at the moment on how understanding your manager is how understanding the organization and HR team are into uh, women's health problems um And hopefully over the next coming years, we'll really start to see that changing with kind of the government holding this this inquiry. Mm -hmm. Um, At the moment, you know, there's a great theme by Endometriosis UK. So they've introduced the um, Endometriosis Employer Friendly Scheme. So trying to boost awareness and understanding of endometriosis in the workplace so that everyone feels comfortable about talking about accommodations and support that they need. Um, So we've also got um, support under the Equality Act. So there's been lots of debate and petitions um, 
you know, trying to get endometriosis classed as a disability, but the support is there because the Quality Act basically says that a person is disabled um, if they have a physical or mental impairment, and that um, impairment has such a substantial and long-term effect on the ability to carry out day-to-day activities. So people with endometriosis in the workplace who feel like they're experiencing discrimination or for instance if they've been disciplined or dismissed because of any endometriosis symptoms or for instance um, not being able to carry out duties because of pain or fatigue for instance then they will have a case under the Equality Act. Um, The Equality Act itself doesn't necessarily um, kind of label out individual um, conditions other than things like cancer or HIV. Um, but the support is there for people that need that need it. I think one of the biggest things with um, this support is having it recognized at the DWP level. So for instance, people who are self-employed and they need that support or if they go off for surgery, they need that, that financial support at the moment I think the big problem is that um, people on the front line of at DWP um, don't have the understanding and awareness of endometriosis or other menstrual conditions and that is well it's going to be a big part of this inquiry as well so in the debate that happened last year uh, the Minister of Disabled People um, Health and Work um, who is in charge of the DWP um, was putting on um, kind of an inquiry himself into how endometriosis is dealt with at that front line. So hopefully we'll see big changes in that as well. Okay, so when so when people are unable to work and they apply for benefits, basically people absolutely that, right. Okay, yeah, because I remember meeting someone years ago. Um, and she couldn't work anymore. And they came round to her house um, to, and I can't remember where it was, because she wasn't in her pajamas anymore or something. She had like some, I don't know, she'd got herself dressed. They were like, well, you can get yourself dressed. So you're not, you're not, um, I don't know, you're, you're not ill enough to yeah, get benefits. So, um, Yeah, so that's hopefully the inquiry is going to kind of change how people are treated um, at that level. Absolutely. And just, I think, you know, this isn't, this is a wide kind of issue is that invisible kind of and fluctuating nature of the condition, Mm -hmm. um, which finds, like, seems that it's very difficult for people, you know, if it isn't visible or if it isn't there the whole time to really understand the condition. Yeah. Yeah. And it gets, if you're uncomfortable with disclosing what makes it worse, um, like where you are in your cycle, then that becomes even more difficult as well. Absolutely. And that's the thing as well that, you know, people with endometriosis don't just have the stigma of an invisible illness, but it's also that stigma and shame of discussing menstruation so there's almost this like double stigma uh, for people with endometriosis especially when it comes to the workplace where we've been taught that it's often inappropriate to talk about kind of um you know down there basically yeah 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, people have no choice if they speak to me. It's, it's yeah. going to happen. Um, I mean, ninety percent of my conversation is about down there. Yeah, yeah. It's so it's so normal now. Like I, sometimes I have yeah. to rein it in. Like I have my hairdresser knows what I do, but then the other people in their salon don't. And so yeah. if I have to see someone, one of them instead of my hairdresser, and then I start talking about things, and I'm just like, oh shit, yeah. I forgot they're not they're not totally comfortable with this kind of conversation move on um but honestly I think like I I was like that at first thinking oh I'm making people feel uncomfortable but actually we're only going to have that big shift if more of us just carry on talking about it as if that you know it is normal because it really is you know so oh my god yeah absolutely yeah I just kind of carry on today <laughs> <laughs> So in terms of, so that's kind of what we've got at the moment. And really it's kind of down to what our um, managers and the kind of HR teams um, knowledge is, you know, what level their knowledge is and what level their compassion is, quite frankly. Um, And so what are your kind of visions and hopes for the future like what do you think needs to happen um and what do you think can be actually achieved in order to make yeah endometriosis um work in the workplace basically so I think there's a lot of things that employers and managers um can do so firstly it is having that greater understanding of the fluctuating nature of endometriosis and that endometriosis will affect people differently. So every single person that has endometriosis will have their own individual needs in the workplace. Yeah. So that's the first big one. Um, What we just talked about as well, developing a culture where people feel comfortable about talking about women's health. So, Mm -hmm. you know, um, that they feel comfortable talking about their treatment plan for endometriosis or their fertility plan, for instance. then having managers trained in invisible illnesses. Oh my God, um, that would be so amazing. Absolutely. And just on this as well, menopause in the workplace is really leading this space at the moment. So we're seeing lots of menopause policies come into place. We're seeing so there's guidelines from the CIPD, so a professional um, kind of governing body on, on training um, HR teams. Um, and I think that, it's so great because I'm hoping that, you know, um, endometriosis in the workplace, we can really learn from what's happening with the yeah. Um Then there's obviously a huge one is tailoring absence, absenteeism policies. Um, I speak to a lot of women that they go off for surgery, for instance, and those 14 or seven days, 14 days are then counted as sickness days, which then goes um I can't remember the exact name for it now but it it goes into the system and for instance sometimes you're only allowed 20 days off a year so it takes a huge proportion of that time out and so I think invisible illness like endometriosis really needs to be built into that system so they're recognized and they don't kind of count against you yeah so true because sometimes they're like an automatic system and like it's just yeah. red flagged and it will affect, yeah, it will affect like promotions or it will affect 
yeah, I'm sure that I remember having a review and we had to like mark me in the red for yeah because of because of a surgery I'm sure but um yeah I mean my manager was really apologetic about it but it was just policy yeah absolutely and I feel that really needs to change because it can be so detrimental to someone's career um when they're living with an illness that you know, doesn't matter how healthy you are, those days, those sickness days are going to be needed at some time or another. So, yeah, that's um, very true. And then supporting female staff, so getting access to that confidential care, but also reasonable workplace adjustments. Um, and those reasonable adjustments can be working from home, it can be reduced hours, um, and, you know, re- reallocating tests or um, a temporary change to duties and responsibilities. And this is where, um, I know you've spoken a lot about this in previous podcasts, but this is where the importance of trying kind of tracking symptoms and mm. identifying any patterns, if, if there are any there, because that gives you leverage to sit down with your manager or your HR team and say, look, this is the pattern I've developed um, and I've noticed with my symptoms. You know, can we talk about some um, accommodations during that period or could I work from home, you know, if there's um, two or three days across the month that, you know, are particularly bad or it's just about being able to um, alter your working tasks um, to your symptoms, for instance. Um, and this is where menstrual policy, like my interest in menstrual policy really comes into being so it's the ability to adjust the way work is carried out based on on what's happening with your symptoms every month so that means going into work a little later or you know if going into work and when the symptoms flare having a designated area to rest or taking the day off paid working from home as we've talked about and for me having menstrual policy um or more research into menstrual policy uh, is really looking at creating this new standard for the needs of women that, that don't necessarily match the standard that the workplace has been created on, um, e.g., you know, a non-menstruating healthy man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with that. I, so I feel like um, one of the things I struggled with the most was the... I don't know whether it was obvious to other people, but in my mind, the obvious difference between me and the healthy um, cis males in mm-hmm. my team who were the same age as me or, or younger and yeah. were excelling, were um, same level of energy every day. When they, you know, when they had a little bit of a dip after lunch, they just had a espresso then they were good to go again and who were just like always ready for like a drink or always ready to participate like they never fluctuated and it really I felt like I looked so unreliable but then I was like oh but it's like it's like my biology right now I you know it's it's my it's how endo is affecting me how I mean there was so much to it um yeah 
you know, neurotransmitter health, like deficiencies, so much. Um, and often people come, you know, have loads of other chronic conditions that come along with endometriosis. So you're often not battling just one thing. Um, but to the outside, you both just look like healthy young people. One of them's yeah. a man, one of them's, well, maybe, one of them may be a woman, they might not. But, you know, and you're, you're just two healthy looking individuals who are around the same age, yet you differ so significantly. And that felt um, so unfair. Absolutely, it is. It really is. So, yeah, I feel like having something like a menstrual policy will just, I can't even fully um, fathom it, really. I can't even quite see, because we just never had anything like it. It's just, it would be revolutionary. So it's it's almost quite yeah. difficult to envision what it would look like. But if you think about it, it wasn't until around the 1980s that maternity policies were put, were put in place. And oh can my you imagine gosh. a workforce now, you know, where there wasn't a maternity policy that, you know, women had to come back to work or, you know, mm-hmm. or they lost their jobs because, you know, their choice to have a baby. So yeah, that's crazy. I think it, it just takes, you know, big society shifts, but they're shifts that are needed. Um, yeah, to kind of, like, there's been lots of backlash against menstrual policy um, because of, undermining gender and inequality and equality or you know it's a policy that's seen as sexist or unfair that women shouldn't be treated differently but the problem is the standard benchmark is something that we're not so it's unfair to ask people to live up to that benchmark so you know even just um, people who have really difficult periods, um, let alone all the symptoms that come along with endometriosis, like a new standard really needs to be set that takes um, everyone's needs on an individual basis and, you know, support is given on that individual basis. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Because equality isn't about everyone being the same. Like we're not all supposed to be measuring up to like a really healthy, like, white man like that's not what we absolutely. should be basing our normal one absolutely yeah no that makes total sense to me so for you um what do you what, in terms of what you hope for the future and how that's going to be integrated into like your research what's kind of next for you because I know you you're in your first year or you've just finished your first year of your PhD and you're now right. moving into quite a big um time for you so yeah what what's next so I'm currently working through um the ethics of the project and once um I've been granted ethical approval I'll be then going into recruiting people for the study so I'll be asking around 30 people to get involved and and the first element of the study will be a diary study so asking people to capture their experiences of endometriosis at work. And then the second element would be an interview then um, where we can dive deeper into those experiences. Um, And the big kind of, what's really important for me, as I said um, at the beginning, is really sharing those stories of what it's like to work with endometriosis, an area that hasn't really been looked um, looked in properly. And then looking as well at, you know, if people 
do have menstrual policies available at work, how has that made an influence on their experience of working with endometriosis? Mm. Or, or what do they feel like menstrual policy would, you know, would bring to their experience, for instance? Yeah, that makes total sense. I look back at my time at Centerpoint um, and I was really struggling at the time with like depression and anxiety around endo. I look back and I'm like, wow, they did so much to support me. Um, And, you know, I left anyway because I felt that I just wasn't bringing enough to the team, the state that I was in. Um, But then I went to a couple of other places after that. And the, I look back and I was like, oh my gosh, like center point did so much they were literally like just go just go when it like don't even tell us just go when you need to go home and um there was just no question about it in the end I just would if I couldn't come in or need and literally it was like you know just come in at whatever time you need to come in like when you're due on um they were brilliant they were so good in that sense and I think that's one thing about charities because often they have more of awareness of what um vulnerable people or people with disabilities are facing so yeah hopefully in most places not everywhere um get a bit more compassion and equality so yeah i am i think that would be really powerful for people to share the the experience of what's worked or what hasn't been working Definitely. And, you know, for the future, I'd love to see menstrual policy be just as kind of commonplace as maternity policies, that people understand that there's a need and, you know, there's a a policy to support that need. And lots of people as well have talked about, well, you know, there's existing workplace policies like uh, working from home or sick leave, for instance, but I feel like having something like menstrual policy in place is so important because sick leave doesn't necessarily cover um, endometriosis or it covers to a certain extent, but because obviously you've got the seven to like 12 years waiting for a, a diagnosis, sometimes actually what was a medical issue then becomes a performance management issue in the workplace because employers and colleagues will only empathize for so long and it doesn't endometriosis doesn't have that usual kind of um Mm. the usual patterns of illness where you know you have the signs you have the symptoms and then you have a full recovery it's almost that can be sometimes every single month so I feel like having a menstrual policy you know really almost legitimizes those invisible needs you know um where people feel stigmatized in and unwilling to kind of disclose endometriosis, it breaks down that barrier as well. Um, And instead of us keeping endometriosis hidden in the workplace, if we can, you know, break that taboo and talk about it more, then like you mentioned, um, when you were, you know, in your meetings and you felt like you couldn't contribute anymore because of the kind of aftermath of lots of different things happen, hopefully it will, you know, really help to eradicate that as well. So, really interesting in what comes out in the study for those reasons yeah absolutely and so then what happens at the kind of once you've done that study what 
kind of is next? Would you take that to the government to propose changes? Like, how does that translate into the policies that you're looking to change? So um, after the study um, itself, kind of the research uh, and collecting data, uh, for example. So once that period's done, I'll then take that data away um, and analyze it and then write up my thesis. Um, so the whole process of the PhD takes three to four years. So it'll be um, some time before I can kind of um, kind of take take that research um, to government, but that is my aim. So, um, you know, developing the work from that's happening in the inquiry and really get, getting involved in that and, and supporting that where possible. Yeah, now that's going to be an amazing day. I think we should like have a, a date <laughs> in the diary yeah. for like three years time that we can like celebrate and go and do something nice together when when you finish it and when you um yeah take it to the government that will be such a an amazing achievement I can't wait to see what comes out of the study so I think I'll definitely need a celebratory day yeah <laughs> yeah no we're, we're planning something nice um so for anyone who's listening who's recognized some of their Um, experiences in our stories or in some of the kind of examples you shared can you give any like key tips for people who are struggling at work um, or who aren't even struggling but want to make their workplace more aware what would you suggest that they could maybe do I think one of the biggest pieces of advice and something that really changed my journey is just talking about it more so For instance, I really didn't talk about my endometriosis at work, but then through Instagram and through sharing bits of yoga, obviously, because I was teaching at that point, um, I started talking more more about endometriosis. And actually, it really changed um, kind of um, the understanding and awareness of of my colleagues around me. And I, I noticed they started responding to me differently because they were more aware of what was going on, like behind mm. the closed doors for me. So I think, yeah. So, and, and research has shown as well, more awareness and understanding across employers, across colleagues, actually really helps um, like keep, keep women in, in the workforce because they're more able to get access to that social support, flexibility um, and accommodation. So I think that's a really big, important one is, you know, share your story. And that's if you feel comfortable. I know that isn't an option for everybody or, you know, people aren't at that stage yet or might not ever feel comfortable with sharing their story. But if you do, just, yeah, talking about it more in the workplace can really help. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I think that the next big bits are, you know, sitting down with um, your manager or your HR team and being really honest about, you know, what you need to help you thrive at work. So, you know, they're there to support you and, you know, to get the best out of you. So, you know, take it to them and, and see how they can help um, would, be, would be my advice. And hopefully with the inquiry going on, we see big government um, changes as well. And that, that comes, you know, that's filtered down to organisations. And we do see new policies being put in place. Mm, yeah, no, for sure. Thank you so much for this. Oh, well, just having me again. <laughs> no, you're welcome. And yeah, not just thank you for this interview, but thank you for the work that you're doing and for 
the incredible TED talk that you did. And oh, I mean, I would have been terrified. Um, oh, <laughs> so yeah, you did. It was just amazing. It was so powerful. Um, so if anyone hasn't seen Vicky's TED talk, definitely go and check it out. Um, where can they find more about the work that you're doing in your TED talk? Um, how can people get in touch with you? So at the moment, um, people can get in touch with me. So via Instagram or via Facebook. Um, I'm soon, I say soon, I've been working on it for a long time, um, developing a new website. Um, so I'm hoping to have lots of information and um, uh, further support and, and guidance for people about working with endometriosis on there. So watch this space. That is, yeah, something something that's going to be coming <laughs> awesome okay well let me know once that's up and I will share it as well so people Thank yeah you. just keep your eyes peeled for anyone who wants to check out Vicky more um thank you so much for coming on it's been lovely to have you um especially in this weird weird week we're recording when I feel like coronavirus has totally blown up um yeah. <laughs> so yeah strange times but um it's you know it's so important that we continue doing this kind of work and persevering absolutely so thank you so much and yeah it's been lovely to chat to you oh thank you so much for having me <laughs> all right i'll speak to you soon thank you bye. bye so that's it thank you so much for listening if you want to find out more about what i do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, you can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis as always if you like this show please rate review and or subscribe it really truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis this episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world.